0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. When it comes to grief, the word complicated is complicated. For years, the term complicated grief has been tossed around by folks in the field of mental health research and also by clinicians and folks who are grieving. In that context, complicated grief was used as a label for when someone's grief had veered into the realm of a mental disorder. Recently, prolonged grief disorder was added to the DSM-5, which is the most recent iteration of the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So it will be interesting to see what happens to the term complicated grief in the future. In my work, though, the word complicated shows up in a different context. I hear people talking about how the person who died was complicated, about how the relationship they shared was complicated. about how those complications lead to a lot of complicated and confusing emotions, thoughts, and reactions throughout their grief. Complicated came up a lot in my interview with Joe. His dad died in 2017 after almost a decade of failing health. Joe's dad was a complicated guy. Joe's relationship with his dad was and continues to be complicated. Joe's grief since his dad died has been equally complicated and complex. Joe is careful and deliberate with his words, so the fact that complicated came up so many times means something. I'm going to let Joe explain what it means, but know that you'll hear about what it was like to grow up with his father, a man who struggled with substance misuse and anger. You'll also hear about Joe's experience of holding his dad's hand as he took his last breath. About how Joe continues to reckon with what he knew of his dad while he was alive, and what he wishes he could know now. You'll also hear about banana peels, roadside family photos, and oversized baseball t-shirts. That will all make more sense, I promise. In the end, you'll hear about a guy trying to hold all the confusing and sometimes opposing emotions, thoughts, and realities that come with grieving when it's, well, just complicated. Joe, thank you so much for taking time to be part of Grief Out Loud today.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: And, you know, we, we've we known each other for quite a while, and we may have even had this type of conversation in the past, you know, through your time at one of our peer grief support groups. But there's been a few times in group where we've talked about this idea of grief as an entity, as a being that kind of exists outside of ourselves and the idea that it it grows and changes over time. It develops. It starts out as an infant and then it grows into a toddler and then becomes a teenager and a young adult, et cetera, et cetera. So I was just thinking today in this moment, what age developmental level would you say your grief is?
1: I still feel like it's a baby. (laughs) I still feel like it's such a little baby in a really good way in some ways, but also just in in a complicated way. Like my Dad died in 2017 and I think I actively didn't feel grief or allow myself to feel anything or even not allow myself to feel anything. I was just numb for the first two years of that grief. And so I don't think that that being even began developing until a couple years after he died. And then there was this other being of my grief that was developing for the last I don't know, 10 years of his life or so when his health was really bad and just in and out of hospitals and in and out of crises. A lot of my grief happened before my dad died. And then he died. And then there was two years of nothing, of, of thinking that I was fine because I had processed his death for the last 10 years. And then Dougie said, okay, <laughs> And and our groups kicked in and I got to think about things on a deeper level, on a level that I had never accessed before. And so the being at the stage of my development, so that's 2017 is when he died and we're in 2022. It's still, I feel like it's still a baby. I don't, I don't know. We could ask me more. And <laughs> Well,
0: I love the idea that you actually have grief siblings. There was the grief being that started when your dad's health Uh, began to deteriorate. And that being grew over the 10 years of that piece. And then, then there was this stage of numbness, as you mentioned, and then like a new grief baby (laughs) arrived uh, about two years after he died. You know, numbness is something that so many people experience, but it doesn't get a lot of um, attention in the grief world. Like people aren't talking about numbness as part of grief. And I wondered if you could describe what the numbness felt like in a lot of ways, the
1: numbness felt like just continuing my life, the only way I know how to move forward as a person. And this is like something that was so foundational to me. Maybe it's my family, maybe it's my upbringing. Hard feelings get stuffed down as deep as humanly possible. That's like on a, a lifelong journey kind of thing. My, we just never talked about hard things as a family and I think the numbness is very directly related to that we never talked about feelings we don't really talk about when things get really tough because of that after my dad died it felt very natural to fall into a place of of numbness and I sort of convinced myself that part of me was so relieved about him dying in a way that I was that really surprised me that felt like it was like, oh, this is the end of the grief. Finally, he's out of pain. We can move on with life. We don't have to think about these complicated questions again. And we can just go on and figure out what's next. And that's just life and that's how people do. And I didn't know that in that was also just a turning away from some of the real stuff that was going on. And actually, the going back to that developmental stage and the siblings of my grief that you're describing my it's like i haven't i feel the grief through my relationships with my alive family members too my grief had a resurgence in my life as kind of parts of my relationship with my dad that i wished happened and was then reflecting on relationships that i have with current alive family members. I don't know how else to describe that.
0: Well, one of the questions I was going to ask, you know, it sounds like you might be heading in this direction already is, you know, after that period of like your dad dies and there's a like almost a sense of relief of like, we can kind of put that behind us and move forward with our lives. And then there's that period of numbness. And then something brought you to the place of Okay, I'm going to go a little bit more into this grief world, and I wonder if there was what inspired you to you know seek out coming to a grief group or to just delve a little bit more into what what lived beyond the numbness.
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I have one of my friends to thank for that. My friend's dad died as well. It was two years after my dad died. She came to me and sought out Dougie Center, and she was like, "I need to go," and I really want company like your dad died can we be in as she loves to call it dead daddy club together like will you support me through this and I thought that my at first I thought my going to Dougie Center was much more of a supportive role as someone who understood grief I had finished it it was all tied (laughs) up in a real nice bow and it's like yes I'll I'll be here for you also conveniently, her relationship with her father was a complicated one as well. And a lot of parallels, it felt like being there as a friend. And what I didn't know was that being witness to all the ways that people are just chewing through this and figuring out what is happening in life or just talking or just existing with feelings and saying them out loud, how what that would do to me and how that would help me tap into that sort of deep reserve of feelings that I had stuffed as far down as I possibly could just as a core fundamental part of my being. And then it's like, oh, here we are. All of a sudden, two years later, I'm starting to think about some of this stuff and it hit me a lot. There were a couple specific moments after I started going to Dougie Center that just crushed me. And I didn't realize it was going to be like that.
0: (laughs) Are you able to share about one of those?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think the most poignant moment for me, so I do film photography and my dad's belongings were, oh, and I develop film as well. So my dad's belongings were sort of just floating around my mom's house after he died. And it was probably like three years after he died. My mom was going through his drawers and cleaning things out and found a couple rolls of film that were rolling around in his, among his pants or something. (laughs) And she threw them into the trash can. And my sister saw that and picked them out because she knew that I do film photography. She brought them to me. And then I went and got them developed, came back and I looked at the photos that were on these rolls and they were like family portraits from when I was 10, nine years old, there's a picture of me with my dad on a family trip to Idaho that we took when I was a kid that I barely remember. And I'm seeing these pictures for the first time as like a 33 year old. When I opened that and I saw my dad standing next to me and I was in my way too big for me, hand-me-down Seattle Mariners shirt, I just started sobbing because these are moments that were in physically in the trash can. I would have never seen that before. And I don't really have very many pictures of my, of me with my dad specifically. The second role of film was full on family portraits of all of us together. All my siblings, there are nine of us. I'm the seventh. Everybody was together and we were all being goofy. And my sister was sitting on my dad's lap and this was all before his health really declined. In a lot of ways, those were like the most I don't know, golden years of my relationship with my dad, which is another complicated story because my dad struggled with addiction his whole life, smoking, and he was just a very private, complicated man. And so part of my grief has been coming to terms with that relationship of the golden years, quote unquote, with my dad being also years that he was deep in the addictions that ended up in many ways killing him there's a lot in there. And a lot of that, that wellspring just flooded for me from a completely unexpected place from rolls of film that were in the trash can. And I saw those and I realized there was way more there than I ever expected.
0: You know, I'm picturing you seeing this photo of you and your dad, you're in your oversized Mariners t-shirt and we all relate to memories differently. Some of us will uh, see something that sparks a, a memory or brings back a memory and we'll, we'll be able to think about it. And some of us will feel it in our bodies and some of us will almost feel transported back to that time. And it can viscerally reconnect us with an experience maybe we had been cut off from. And so I was just curious for you when you did see that photo, how did you interact with that memory?
1: yeah i mean it felt to me, that photo specifically felt to me almost like a genre of photos all in one or an entire family of photos all in one picture to describe it we're on a dirt road um, there's this wide vista of rolling hills as far as the eye can see we're on a family trip to idaho which in my a family as big as mine we never did family trips <laughs> And my dad and I are standing next to each other about a foot apart. I've got my hands in my pockets, looking very awkwardly at the camera like a nine-year-old. And my dad is crossing his arms, looking stern and gruff, and just annoyed. And I can absolutely tell that right before that picture was taken, somebody was saying to us, just pose for one photo, just one shot. And my dad was like, come on, we have to get there. Or like <laughs> being annoyed at like how late we are or being annoyed at something. He was always annoyed at something. Um, and you can just see it in his face. And I, it brought me back to all those moments of my dad being angry or lashing out or doing what he does to... I don't know, handle his own stuffed down feelings. And at that, that photo of us standing on that road, the bright sunshine, me being awkward, him being, us being really weirdly far apart from each other too for a, a family sweet photo. And I'm just not even smiling. And my dad is very clearly annoyed and angry. It felt to me like that photo was um, so many memories. All, all in one specific moment. So I don't know if I'd have answered that exact question, but.
0: So Joe, you've mentioned a couple of times, like the, the golden days of the golden years with your dad, and then knowing what you knew later, how that sort of has mm, influenced or shaped your understanding of those golden days with your dad. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit more about like, what were those golden years like? And what was your relationship with your dad like then? And then as you got older, and then your dad's health started to change and fail, if you had a different relationship with him, and then the relationship that you have with him now as an adult reflecting back on all that time together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe golden years isn't quite the right description, because as I'm hearing it back and hearing the way I described it, I'm like, that just wasn't Right. That doesn't feel quite right. That's my younger years with my dad feel in a lot of ways, the main feeling when I try to tap into that, that I remember is fear. Like my dad was a scary man. A lot of times he was drunk a lot. Um, He hit us as kids when we were young, when we did something he didn't like. I have so many memories sitting around the family dinner table and all of us talking and just this cacophony of sound and my dad slamming his fists on the table and screaming, shut up or whatever. And being scared of his wrath growing up. And that was a large side of his personality, which was also mixed with being a goofball with this weirdo, um, yeah, I think about various aspects of of my dad. And I talk to his sister and my aunt all the time. We were always texting and we had we've had a complicated relationship, especially after he died too. but now we're talking almost every day and she she always says something like, You're just like him. You look just like him, or this lifts my spirit so much." to connect with you and like you, your sense of humor reminds me so much of him. And I think about that a lot, the sense of humor, because um, there's one other picture that I know of us together where we have banana peels dangling over our heads and our, both of our tongues are out and we're just like laughing and people are just so dynamic and complicated, but for some reason describing it as golden years didn't doesn't quite feel accurate but i do love to think about those moments the banana peel hats and the goofball and i love talking with my aunt especially because she remembers the child of my father she remembers my dad as a kid and she talks all the time about how he would just have her in on the ground, rolling with laughter all the time. Like they were just joking together all the time. And I saw glimpses of that and moments of that and in my dad's adult years and before he got really, really sick. But at the same time, that was all through this lens of addiction and lens of alcoholism and nights where he would, not be allowed to come inside and sleep because he drove home drunk and he has to sleep out in the car. All that all mixed in the same moment. (laughs) It's a lot. And I don't know if I'll ever really fully understand it or grasp who this man was. A lot of my grief has been asking that question. Who in the heck were you?
0: What's your answer today?
1: Today... I mean, I would yeah, this is my answer today. It's that he's a complicated man. <laughs> <laughs> he's a complicated man with and by and and I think contextually by the time I was born, I was the seventh child. So on top of having a dad who is a jokester, loves life, loves being a funny guy or A playful person also is a tired, worn out, six kids down father who is taking out a lot of those feelings at the bottle. By the time they got to me, I think it was, there was a lot more of just ragged parenting. (laughs)
0: Yeah, perspective that as a child, you likely aren't able to tap into, but as an adult to be able to look back and be like, what was my father doing and feeling as an adult, maybe my age right now, knowing what I know about being in this world. Yeah, There's a phrase that gets bounced around in the grief world a lot. It says, um, you know, we grieve as deeply as we love. And I want to like get on board with that. But something in my mind hears that as we grieve as deeply as we liked the person and You know, from my work, I know that that doesn't hold true, that we may have people that we didn't like very much and we grieve extremely deeply. And I wonder, how do you relate to that phrase?
1: My immediate reaction was, I don't relate to that at all. (laughs) And just that grief for me, and I think for most, for a lot of people is so complicated. First of all, people are so complicated and relationships doubly so. And then to process what those relationships happened or what happened in those relationships after the fact, and to figure out grief after someone has died, it's just so complicated. Like, I don't even know what the phrase grieving deeply would mean to me versus grieving shallowly. <laughs> I don't really relate to that. My, it's just feels like it's so complicated. And maybe that's the part of it is because. I stuffed so many feelings down for a couple of years and so much of that freshness dissipated. We haven't even mentioned this, but my experience of my dad's death, I was holding his hand at his last breath and I felt his last heartbeat in his hand pulsing right by his side. I think about that moment all the time. I don't, Know what it means for me, or I don't know all the implications of what that moment was, but to be there and to feel his last moment of life with him and surrounded by a bunch of my other siblings. On one side of the coin, it's like some people have said to me, like they would do anything for that. They would do anything to be there at their loved ones' last moment. I don't know how to respond to the (laughs) to that feeling, but. For me, I was just so, there was so much that happened right then. I bottled it away for a really long time. So I think that the freshness of being there when he died, holding his hand when he died, all gets intermixed into that kind of evolving relationship of what it means to grieve deeply for this man. Because it was also, that was the first time I've ever experienced death in general.
0: And I know you said you sort of bottled those emotions away and, and when you reconnected with them, they may have felt maybe more muted or distant or like some of the fresh rawness was had worn away. But I wonder thinking back or if you're able to describe like what were some of the emotions you did feel in that moment?
1: I remember thinking back and being feeling like a sense of shame about how much relief I felt. I remember in the la- very last moments of his life, my mom said, said verbally to him. We were all sitting around his bed in his bedroom. The hospice nurses were telling us it's time, you know. And my mom said, it's okay, Danny, you can go. It's okay, you can let go. And that was the exact moment that he took his last breath. and, And I remember feeling a sense of relief, part of it as permission given by my mom in some ways, that she released him too. And we had all been holding him up for so long. The feeling like was, we were dragging this really heavy rope through the sand for so long and holding up so much weight. And finally we could all let go. And then maybe years down the line, more feelings bubble up. But at that moment, it was, it was relief. And contextually in his life, he was going through a lot of pain. He'd had a bunch of heart attacks, a bunch of strokes, fallen, hit in his head. He was just a, a man in shambles. He knew it too. And he knew it was the end and we all knew it was the end. So there was a big part of us that, or for me, at least, and I think in my siblings as well. And we haven't really talked about this very much, which is another layer, <laughs> a, a huge sense of relief.
0: Do you have a sense, Joe, of how your dad's death has shaped how you live your life?
1: I think about death a lot more now. I think about the idea of being temporary and how life is temporary and i'm a lot less optimistic than i was before <laughs> before he died i was always a very sort of one track happy go lucky optimistic golden retriever in human form kind of <laughs> kind of guy and i mean that hasn't left for me but it does feel like being there to and experiencing firsthand the actual physical last heartbeat of my father changed a lot about me and changed a lot about like how I just think about life and wanting to try to savor relationships, though not always being really good at it and wanting to do XYZ and not always being really good at it. But I think about dying a lot more than I did before.
0: You just said savor relationships, right? Like S-A-V-O-R. And I heard it as save our relationships. And I thought, oh, that's interesting too. And that fits as well (laughs) as I've heard so many people say that they engage with people in their lives differently from a place of trying to preserve a relationship, even when there is conflict, even when there are complications, even when there are hard feelings of like, what's the bigger picture here? Is there a way to stay connected to this person while they're still alive? So thank you for that little, my brain went down a very different path than what you said.
1: It <laughs> makes sense. Maybe both.
0: You mentioned a few times that you are one of nine siblings. There's nine of you total. And I wonder what has it been like to grieve as such as part of such a big family?
1: Well, conveniently, in a lot of ways, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't grieve with each other um also inconveniently at the same time we do have a text message thread you know every once in a while we'll say things that reminded us of my dad or say things that he used to love or just little memories here and there but by and large deep conversations about my dad just haven't really happened and i know that it changed everybody on a fundamental level i don't exactly know how but you, I feel like all of our relationships just shifted and there's going to be a day when it's maybe not so raw for people, a little bit more accessible for people. And in a lot of ways, it's funny to say this, like five years later, it does feel like people are starting to come around to speaking about him more. My oldest sister, we have a really good relationship and she's said repeatedly that she's just tucked it all away tucked it all away. It's, some, it's in there. And slowly, I've noticed over the last maybe several months, even, she's talked about the idea of maybe opening that door a little bit more and being, being more available to those feelings. So who knows? I mean, we have, we're, we have a long time still, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and do you have a sense of what role, if any, gender has played in your experience with grief?
1: I saw this question and I thought about this one so much because it feels very complicated. And I don't know, I don't actually know as someone who identifies as male. I think that there's also a tendency to bottle feelings deeper or to feel like quote strong in hard situations, which makes no sense to me, but it's like still ingrained in my being. Um, and that was always a message that my dad would give to me growing up, like the whole be a man thing. And he was like very masculine on a lot of levels. But at the same time, that kind of bottling and refusing to like access human emotions or share them with each other as a family it goes from my mom too. I learned a lot of those lessons from her and it goes from our very Catholic upbringing as well. These sorts of things are things that you only say in, private with God or whatever it is. And I think that it comes from both sides of my family, but societally I'm supposed to be as a, as a man. And I hope that these things are being broken down because it's absolutely tiring and totally unrealistic, but to have to show up as a pillar of strength when I feel so sometimes like broken and weak and confused, it's just like this weird juxtaposition that doesn't work with my soul.
0: <laughs> do you find a similar, I mean, it sounds like there's this embedded expectation that you have maybe for yourself that just came from being exposed to that way of being and then bigger picture societal messaging. And then there's like the family dynamic. And I wonder, do you find a similar either explicit or implicit expectation in your friend's social circle around as a man, like, I should be grieving in a certain way or not grieving in a certain way?
1: I don't know. I'm certainly going to be thinking about that from now on. Though (laughs) I mean, that is an amazing question. And I'm sure that it shows up a lot. But I'm not quite sure how that manifests in my life, in my friend groups. I mean, people don't ask me. Yeah, people don't ask me. (laughs) We don't ask each other often. Maybe it's just like, life but we don't ask each other how we're grieving only in dougie center does that happen for me (laughs) my friends don't come to me and say like how are you doing or what's your grief like these days and so on top of not being asked about it or not talking about it much i don't really know how my gender shows up in in that and maybe not talking about it and not being asked about it is part of that too
0: sounds like there's some field research to be done can report. Back. Oh, for
1: sure. That question is going to be sticking in my brain for a while, I think.
0: Joe, as we come to kind of our end of our time together today, I'm wondering, you know, we started off with like, how old is your grief today? And I'm wondering, how are you tending to your grief lately?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So tending to my grief Right now, it does feel a lot more natural to have kind of more positive feelings about grief and my dad, partly it's the extra sunshine, maybe it's extra vitamin D. For me, a physical manifestation of that is in my garden. I've been doing a lot of gardening lately. And if I were to actually categorize the golden years, all of them would be in the garden. My dad was a green thumb at heart. He grew up on a dairy farm. My aunt, who I talk with all the time, was an organic farmer. Our family is just these deep roots, pun intended, in organic farming. And <laughs> um, so I started a little little vegetable patch. I mean, it's very tiny, not even close to farm status. But being out there has helped me have these moments where I realized that my dad was doing the same exact things that I'm doing. He he put his seeds in the ground just like this and he loved his sweet peas so much. His sweet pea wall was absolutely legendary and I tried to plant sweet peas this year in memoriam and all of them died except for one. <laughs> Which was so funny to me, but that one sweet pea reminds me of my dad every time I go out and there have been a lot of phases of my grief. After I started going to the Dougie Center, when I was when I first started tapping into this bottled up feelings from forever deep inside, my immediate feelings were pain and anger and confusion. Like, why were you like this? Do I even know who you were? You were drunk a lot. Were you did you actually leave those jobs or were you found drunk on the job? I don't know. Like I have so many unknown answers and that early stage of my grief was so much pain and frustration. Then it kind of morphed into, like, well, I didn't do that with my dad. I didn't ask him these questions. I didn't have this relationship I really wish I had. So I definitely want to do that with my mom or my siblings. And then that morphed into, well, those relationships are <laughs> really complicated too. And I can't, <laughs> I can't exactly do that. And maybe wanting, this relationship with my mom was just another manifestation of grief of my dad through that. And from there, so there've been a lot of complicated, hard feelings. One long trend for me through my grief has been wanting to find happy moments with my dad. And I think back a lot about the banana peel hat. I'm like, I want to remember that goofball. And yeah, I don't want to forget the confusing and the pain, the hurtful and like abusive at times, man. And I won't forget that because it's a part of who I am. But I also do want to remember those moments because they were true to him and they were real and they're part of me too. That came flooding back for me when I was putting seeds in the ground. And I had this moment, like this was where my dad was happiest. And that was maybe the only thread I have from my early childhood besides my family and my relationships with my family that was like almost entirely positive was the garden. And so I got out there and I started digging around and started planting seeds and just had this like flood of emotion where I realized that this was my dad's happy spot. And um, I was very grateful to experience that I was incredibly grateful to be able to do a little bit of gardening and seed gardening. Yeah. So I physically am tending to my grief by tending to my garden in some ways. And, and it's interesting because a garden is such a microcosm of life and death all at once. There's always something dying back and making room for something else. And I guess what I wanted to say was that it's still so painful on a lot of ways, and that comes in waves. And I just don't think there's ever a right way to feel about it, but right now the garden is helping me see a side of my dad that I wasn't really allowing myself to see before.
0: So I don't usually ask people, how are you tending to your grief? And I wasn't sure where that word came from, but now we know, because it's literally (laughs) what you are doing is tending your garden (laughs) and tending your grief and, and uncovering new dimensions of your grief and your dad. Joe, I just want to thank you so much for taking time today for, you know, being open to sharing your story and for kind of going through, it's no small process to find the feeling to open up to that feeling and then to find the words to describe that feeling. So I just really want to honor the effort that goes into just sitting here on a computer screen with me and and trying to find what you feel and put what you feel into words. So really thank you for your time and your effort today.
1: Thank you, Jenna. And especially Dougie Center. I mean, I would have never tapped into this. And for my friend who asked me to join her, these feelings probably would still be in the bottle. And some ways, even five years later, it feels like I just popped that cork. (laughs) Or there's probably a a whole case of bottles down there.
0: (laughs) Oh Well, thank you again, Joe. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a joy.
0: And to all of our listeners out there, I thank you each and every single time for tuning in, for sharing episodes with people that you think might be helped by the conversations that we're having here on Grief Out Loud. I would love to hear from you. Oftentimes, you know, it's me and the guests talking into the void. And we, you know, we just love hearing back from people what the show means to you. So if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at griefoutloud at Dougie.org. It's d-o-u-g-y dot o-r-g. That's also our website where you can find information about our local programming, our peer grief support groups, like the one that Joe has been attending, as well as programs that we are aware of around the U.S. and the entire world. We have a ton of downloadable resources there, uh, tip sheets, activity sheets, all of our bookstore resources, as well as each and every episode of Grief Out Loud. And I'm also excited to share with you that this podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stephan Endowment Fund. So thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.